Help us to enter into the truth, the reality of your resurrection. And bless the preaching of your word and the hearing of it now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. <clears throat> amen. Well, what has just happened here tonight? We read all the Bible and sang all the songs. It's just been amazing. You know, about two weeks ago, as a part of my Lenten discipline, I gave up my obsession with following the news. Uh, well, mostly, anyway. Uh, I, I did this because I noticed that my intake of current events enabled me to go for hours without having one single positive thought. It was, it was amazing. In fact, I was on one of my prayer hikes the other day, and Towards the end of my walk there at Pilot Mountain, I had to confess to God right out loud that I had gone two hours praying without saying anything positive. It was embarrassing. And why is that? Well, because I was mentally rehearsing, even in my prayer time, a litany of current events that were relentlessly depressing. And I'm not the only one with this problem. Last year, on, uh, in a November 1st article, The Hill published... And uh, The Hill is an online and print publication. They published an article that reported, listen, a majority of people surveyed in a new poll say this is the lowest point in U.S. history. I want to read, the, read that again. A majority of people surveyed. That means more than most. A lot. Surveyed in a new poll say that this is the lowest point in U.S. history. Now, of course, this demonstrates a remarkable lack of historical perspective. You have to wonder if these people had ever heard about slavery or the American Civil War or the Great Depression. But it does illustrate that many of us feel like this is the end of our civilization. And if you don't feel that way, don't worry. There are plenty of people out there who want to help you think so. In fact, my theory on why post-apocalyptic and zombie movies and TV shows are so popular right this minute is that these reflect our corporate angst. And this fear is having real-world implications. I've spoken with many young people. This kind of is very disturbing. I've, I've spoken with many young people who have told me that they don't ever want to have children because they are so fearful of what the future holds. They don't ever want to have children because they're so afraid of the future. A while back, a NPR uh, story featured a lecturer at Madison University, University who was telling students that we should not be having children because by the end of this century, environmental issues are going to render the planet, quote, largely uninhabitable for humans. I had to cheer those college kids up. And then he went on to say, it's going to be post-apocalyptic movie time, close quote. There is actually a name for this kind of anxiety, for the kind of anxiety that's induced by that kind of teaching, by that kind of news, and it's called climate trauma. I'm not kidding, climate trauma. Well, guys, for people my age, we just got over the Cold War anxiety of nuclear annihilation, and it's like we had to run out and get us a whole new batch of fear to live with. Like, like, it's kind of like us Southerners running to the store when there's the slightest threat of snow. 
because we're going to afraid we're afraid we're going to run out of bread and milk. We had to frantically run out to the apocalyptic fear store to make sure that we had enough existential dread in the pantry. Well, beloved, and especially you young folks, I want to tell you something. As Christians, we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live like that. I'm not saying that these things don't pose real threats and that we shouldn't do all that we can do to see that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what I am saying is that we can't be driven by fear and despair and anxiety about the future. And here's the reason why. Christ is risen! And the reality of the resurrection, that in the same world that you and I inhabit right now, a real man died on Friday and came back to life on Sunday, infinitely surpasses all the fear about climate change or geopolitics or the economy or whoever's in the White House or Christian persecution. And that's why I just love the raw immediacy of Mark's resurrection account that we just heard. It's a jarring intrusion of something absolutely wonderful into a world that was as bad as anyone could remember it being. If you had taken a poll in first century Palestine, they would have said that Palestine was at the lowest point ever. And they might have been right. In Mark's account, we are dropped into a group of women who are living in times that were worse than they thought they ever could be. Their country was occupied by a brutal Roman military force. Their own religious leaders were morally corrupt and willing to collaborate with their Roman oppressors, corrupt to the point of using the judicial system to commit state-sanctioned murder just so that they could stay in power. And beyond that, the person that they had loved and followed for three years, who just days ago had ridden into Jerusalem as their long-expected king and deliverer, he had just been executed on a Roman cross. And in this very real, very bleak, fear-ridden moment, these, now listen, unbelieving women, they weren't believing. If they were believing, they wouldn't be at the tomb looking for a dead body. These unbelieving women stumble into the resurrection. They stumble into a whiplash-inducing reversal of every bad thing that they were absolutely sure was true. Listen to what it says. And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb... They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. <laughs> and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. This was so shocking, so category, bust, so category busting that they weren't even happy about it. Let, let think about it. They didn't, they didn't say, woohoo, and do a fist pump in the air. <laughs> He's alive. No, they just ran away. 
The resurrection account in most ancient copies of Mark's gospel ends abruptly at verse 8 of chapter 16. This is what it says. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment has seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were terrified. Now, whether it's because the original ending to Mark's gospel was lost or because Mark meant to end it there, under the superintendency of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture leaves us suspended right in that moment when God's reality blows up the world we thought we were living in. It's like hearing that your husband was killed in a military operation in Afghanistan, and six months after the memorial service, you open the front door and he's standing there, duffel bag in hand, grinning at you. It's that moment, stuck right there. Tonight, brothers and sisters, with these women, we stumble into a reality that says, in spite of everything you have experienced or listened to on the relentless 24-hour news cycle, there really is a happy ending to this world. Yes, Sam Ganji, everything sad is going to come untrue. If Jesus is dead, then hopelessness and despair are definitely in order. But if he is alive, there is no room for that kind of thing. If Jesus, listen, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then nothing else matters. And if Jesus is risen from the dead, nothing else matters. And the resurrection, the triumph of life over death, is why born-again, believing Christians can have babies when everyone else puts new life on hold because they are expecting the zombie apocalypse or the robot apocalypse or the climate change apocalypse or whatever kind of apocalypse we've been told we're supposed to worry about that week. Having a baby and marking that child with the sign of Christ's death and resurrection for as many of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death so that you might also be partakers of his resurrection. Having a baby and marking that child with the sign of Christ's death and resurrection is a proclamation to a hopeless world that their, despair, their narrative of despair is ultimately untrue. Today, more than any other period in my lifetime, when Christians bring new life into the world and baptize those little ones, we are making a countercultural stand. Every child we bring into the world and plunge into the waters of holy baptism, of regeneration, is an exclamation to point to our Easter shout, Christ is risen. So Craig and Juliana, that's what you and all of us together are doing for Evelyn Joy tonight. Because Jesus is alive right now, and because he is coming again soon, raise this little girl in hope and not in fear. Live your lives in front of her like people who know that even death cannot ultimately harm us. Because you love and trust Jesus Christ, and he has conquered death. 
Raise Evelyn knowing that she is more than a conqueror through him who loved us, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate her from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus who gave himself for her. Raise her knowing that Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and on those in the tombs bestowing life. Church, would you please stand up? What we're about to do for some of you, you've just never seen anything like it before. It's been a lot of that going on tonight. But we're about to use... 1,600-year-old words, that's right, they're brand new, to tell how God turned the world upside down on Easter. Turned it upside down so that little babies that are born into families like Craig and Juliana's can be raised in hope and not fear. When I point to you, you just repeat what I said and do it loud. This is from the Easter sermon of St. John Chrysostom. The table is full, let everyone fare sumptuously. The calf is fatted, let no one go away hungry. Everyone savor the banquet of faith, relish the riches of his goodness. No one need lament their poverty, for the kingdom belongs to us all. No one need grieve over sins, forgiveness has dawned from the tomb. No one need fear death. The Savior's death has freed us from it. Death played the master, but Jesus mastered death. He plundered Hades as he descended into it. It was angered when it tasted his flesh. For seeing this, Isaiah proclaimed, Hades, he said, was angered when he met you below. It was angered. Because it was mocked. It was angered. Because it was slain, it was angered. Because it was shackled, death swallowed a body and met God face to face. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what is seen and fell on what was not seen. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Christ Christ is risen. And you are overthrown. Christ is risen. And demons have fallen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And angels rejoice. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And life rules. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And not one dead remains in the tomb. For Christ, having risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those that slept. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated.